Welcome to Part of the Family from South Charleston First Church of the Nazarene in South Charleston, West Virginia. I'm Paul Neal, one of the staff pastors here at SC First. In today's episode, we'll share the message from our Sunday morning service on March 27th, then Pastor Chris Riggs and I will take a few more minutes to dig even deeper into the message. Just by listening in, even if you've never joined us in person or online, well, you're part of the family too. This past Sunday, Pastor Kent Estep continued his series leading us up to Easter with a message titled, Jesus, the Living Stone. If you've already listened to the sermon, you can skip forward about 37 minutes for the discussion. Now, without further ado, let's listen to the sermon. We welcome you. Glad that you're here today. We're going to continue the series on the names of of Jesus as we begin preaching today. But I begin with a little illustrative stuff. You know, I like to talk about... um, uh, folks and some confusing things they say from time to time. You know, people around us say some confusing things, leave, it, leave us scratching our heads, uh, wondering what in the world are they talking about as they kind of get mixed up in some of their terminology. So I've got some examples of that. First one I begin with is Vinny Pazienza. He was a boxer back in the 90s. Uh, I remember him, but if you weren't into boxing, you probably don't remember him all that well. But he once said of a combatant that he was going up against, he said of him, He's not the sharpest marble in the drawer. Okay. Al Gore comes along, one-time vice president, and of course the creator of the internet, we know. (laughs) And he said, well, well, you know, a leopard can't change its stripes. Okay, you're, you're getting there. The former loudmouthed, never at a loss for words radio host, Rush Limbaugh, in a moment of excitement, spouted, button your seatbelts. <laughs> Here's one, I was so excited my heart almost fell out of my stomach, yelled one American Idol contestant when they were moved on to the next round. Frank Drebin, uh, the fictional detective played by Leslie Nielsen, quipped, it looks like the cows have finally come home to roost. Share of Sonny and Cher fame, talking about her own life, said, I've been up and down so many times, I feel like I'm a revolving door. <laughs> last one, amen, all right, last one. My brother Brad shared this one with me when he was in Kansas City. Dwayne Bowe, a wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs, once said it this way, we've got to dot all of our X's and O's. A lot of mixed metaphors being spoken, folks uh, joining some things together, some thoughts and words that really, when combined, don't make a whole lot of sense. Well, in in one sense, that's what it looks like Peter does in this passage of Scripture that I'm going to read in your hearing today. One minute, Peter's talking about newborn babies, and the next, he's talking about living rocks. He goes from craving milk to mixing mortar, from tasting to building And in all of this, he gives us a reason to preach one more sermon on the names of Jesus because he gives us another name for Jesus in this text. I'm beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. 
Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced or put to shame. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Peter is writing to what is a persecuted church. They have believed upon Jesus. They are following in his ways. They are his disciples. Uh, but now they have been scattered by the persecution uh, that has been brought upon the church. Many of them are being martyred for their faith, uh, being fed to the lions, being burned at the stake, that sort of thing. And Peter's message to them is that they remain true to Christ, that they be maturing in the faith, that they continue to persevere and remain faithful, to continue to live lives that are different, living different lives that are in fact holy and pleasing to God. And so in 1 Peter 2, he begins by telling them how such a life becomes possible. And that is, as they are following after Jesus Christ, he gives them a foundational way in which they can live this new life, and it is to be grounded in and, and based upon Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, who is their living stone. Uh, we understand, don't we, that, that foundations are pivotal. They are, uh, they are, they are necessary. Uh, I told the first congregation today, you know, when, whenever you sell a house in West Virginia or buy a house in West Virginia, it always comes down to the foundation, right? It's always a foundational question. Is this foundation solid? Does it have cracks in it? Our clay around here just makes building difficult in our mountainous areas, and so foundations are pivotal to us. I'm not going to those foundations today, but going to some of the more renowned structures in our world to speak about these things. The Pantheon in Italy, it was commissioned as a temple to all the gods of ancient Rome, and it was built by the Emperor Hadrian in 126 AD, so it's got a few years on it. The building is circular with a portico of large granite Corinthian columns. The Pantheon's dome is still the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome, and today the structure continues to stand as it has for nearly 2,000 years. Why? Because it's built on a firm foundation. What about the Rialto Bridge that spans the Grand Canal in Venice? It was completed, again, I can't hardly believe this, 1591. Criticism and predictions of future ruin were almost immediately uh, uh, surrounded that structure. They began immediately. But what the critics didn't understand was the foundation on which the center arch of the, uh, of the bridge was constructed. 12,000 piles that were, that were 40 feet in length apiece driven down into the banks of the canal. 12,000 of those uh, securing that foundation. What about the Hoover Dam? I don't know if you've ever been there before. Uh, Kelly and I and the kids went out there uh, when we were on sabbatical uh, eight or nine years ago now, and, um, and, and it was just an awesome sight. Just couldn't believe that. How many have been there before? Okay, number of you. All right. It, amazing to look at. But what was even more amazing is what they did to make it possible. They actually diverted the Colorado River for a while. They dug down to bedrock some 70 feet below uh, the surface. And then they utilized 3.25 million cubic yards of concrete. 
uh, this is interesting. They poured all that concrete, laid that foundation, and, and interestingly, in 1995, they drilled some core samples into that concrete and found, and I want you to hear their terminology, they found that the concrete has continued to slowly gain strength. That's interesting phrasing, isn't it? Slowly gaining strength. I would call that a good foundation, one that's gaining strength. And I would suggest to us that that is exactly what we can have in Jesus Christ, a foundation of added strength, increasing stability uh, in our lives. Uh, Let me talk about some illustrative words that Peter kind of uh, associates with Jesus Christ, identifying him as the cornerstone in in this passage of Scripture. The first one occurs there in in verse 4. Peter writes, as you come to him, the living stone. So Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, is living. Uh, That's how Peter begins his uh, description of of Jesus, the cornerstone. And And then he also refers to us in that same way. He says that we too are living. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And so I think Peter is beginning on what is foundational for us as Christians to believe, and that is first and foremost, Jesus is the risen Christ. He is alive. Uh, Jesus is alive today. It is, it is foundational that we believe that he is resurrected, he is immortal, he is eternal. Jesus is alive. It separates him from all others all others that individuals worship. We serve a living Christ. He's not decaying. He's not wasting away. He's not deteriorating. And the emphasis of that and the truth of that is espoused all through the New Testament. In fact, uh, Paul writes in, in Corinthians, if we don't believe that, then we are hopeless among all people. Our faith is futile. it's, It's not based on anything if Jesus himself is not alive. And so that's where Peter begins with this ultimate promise of who we serve. He is the living stone, this one who rolled the stone away. And then secondly, but relatedly, Peter is saying that this life that Jesus has for himself and has accomplished... He is also willing to share that same life with, other, with us. In other words, he is relational, uh, and he's most interested in having relationship with you and me. Uh, it reminded me of a, of a conversation that Jesus has in the New Testament with the, the Samaritan woman around the well. Uh, it comes from John chapter 4. Of course, she shows up at the well expecting that she's going to receive physical water, right? And Jesus begins that conversation with her, and he uses the same word that Peter uses here in saying that I'm the living water, right? He begins telling, telling her who he is, and he says that you can receive this spiritual living water and will well up to eternal life. They continue that, that conversation, and in that conversation as it goes on, Jesus prophetically points to the kind of relationship he seeks with his followers that is, that is not dependent upon the dead stones of a temple. When he says this, he says this to her, A time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, she came and she had this idea. She was consumed with a place of worship. But now she, she comes to, to Jesus. He comes to her. And the living one is standing before her. And he introduces himself as the person who is worthy of worship. Don't be so consumed about the place, but be concerned about the person. 
Now, I want to make sure I say this as well. Don't, don't come away with this from some, with a gross misinterpretation that says that, you know, the pastor said this morning that church isn't important or it's unnecessary or it's optional. Uh, that's not at all what I'm saying. And in fact, the, the passage that we've shared from 1 Peter is all about the purpose and the calling of the church. And so if that's in anybody's thinking at this point, you're wrong about that. That's misguided, erroneous thinking. What Jesus was addressing here, though, with her and with us is our identification of the temple in her case and for us, the, the church in our case, as a place instead of seeing the church as primarily a people, a living people in personal relationship with a personal God. And so my point, Peter's point, Jesus' point is simply this. It's possible for any of us to be surrounded by dead stones, by brick and mortar, beautiful stained glass behind me with even a steeple on top and be spiritually dead to the, to the living stone. Jesus is living, and he wants an ongoing living relationship with you and me each and every moment of every single day. He is living. Number two, Jesus is precious. Peter writes there in verse four again, the living stone was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ was the only son of God, right? So he is precious in that way. What a costly sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, given to us by the Father, but Jesus willingly laying his life down. What a precious, costly sacrifice. Um, of course, in our language as well, we, we hear this terminology of precious stones, right? We, we refer to diamonds and emeralds and amethyst, other stones, and, and they're declared precious, why? Because they are rare, they're unique, they're valuable. And those stones even become more desirable and desirous the truer they are to their optimum uh, color and quality. If Sarah Bailey were here today, and I don't think she's here this morning, but she could tell us all about uh, gemstones. That's what she does. She knows all about that kind of thing. And, and we could talk about quality and color and all those things of those gemstones that make them valuable. I've got an illustration of a, of a painter this is a painter of landscapes, and he always keeps on his easel a number of precious stones. He keeps an emerald there, a sapphire, a ruby, and other, other precious stones, and he was asked why he does that, and he answered the question this way. He says, to help me keep my colors true. In the course of time, without some constant reference, my eye might lose its perception of color tones, and the colors I choose may not be right, may not be what they once were. These precious stones ensure that doesn't happen. And so that's a great question for us. Is Jesus that precious stone in our life? Are we looking to him of unchanging quality, unchanging character? He, the one who is precious, the one who is true to color, the one who is flawless. Are we looking to him as we build our life? And then three, Jesus, the cornerstone, is exclusive. Now, you can search that, the scripture that I read in your hearing today, and you won't find that word in there exactly. But in this passage of scripture, Peter constantly refers to the living stone as him. And he identifies him, of course, as Jesus Christ, saying that you and I must make a decision to put our trust exclusively in him and in him alone. 
Peter is, is reminding those scattered by persecution that, there, that there's only one worthy of building upon, one place or one shelter, one place of truth, and it is in Jesus Christ. Now, some would say there are many options, right? Any road will take you to, to God and that kind of, of thing. In fact, that's been kind of commonplace anymore and more and more over the past uh, few decades. There's this postmodern thought, uh, which simply, again, not a detailed definition, but a simple definition. Postmodernists believe that there is nothing that is absolutely true. Everything kind of moves on a sliding scale. Nothing can be fully certain. And so everything depends on your perspective. Uh, everything is negotiable. Everything is fluid. Nothing is black and white. Nothing is wrong and right. All of those kind of things are, are set aside. And um, I'm not suggesting that most of you, you know, do a lot of reading on postmodern thought. You probably don't. But but I would suggest this, that even though you don't do a lot of reading on that, you've been influenced by postmodern thought. This idea, this concept infiltrates our lives if we are not on guard because it is what is culturally pervasive all around us. And it's evidenced in many views that, um, that we now have that in former years uh, didn't exist and now they do. Uh, some, some views are very common nowadays that, that we, of course, would have said there's no way that's ever going to happen. Now, I'm not suggesting that every um, change in thought is necessarily a negative one. But there are certain things, biblical things, God's word things, that are unchanging and are absolutely true, and we need to be reminded of that. But in American culture, in Western culture, uh, it is just the truth, I think, generally accepted, that God is no longer seen as the center point of, of our lives, at least culturally. He's not seen that way. God is not a given in the sense that we feel an obligation to make ourselves accountable to him as a higher power, as the source of truth. Uh, we, again, have bought into this cultural idea that I can kind of have my own opinions about this, and God's really not locked in one way or another on so many things in our lives, and everything has become very fluid. I can kind of do my own thing. God's speaking to me in a different way than he spoke to everybody else, and, you know, I can kind of just, again, do my own thing. I would only suggest to us that this is a far cry from what Peter is talking about here. Uh, what, what Peter is talking about is that God be absolutely central to every decision of our life that God have a say in everything, that he is a God who cares and wants input into the decisions of our lives. And where we have become used to self simply dictating all of those things, and we go to God sometimes only when we get ourselves in trouble. And so God and Christ anymore are only invited into our lives after we've you know, messed them up so badly that we need some help. And so he's only our rescuer. I, I heard it illustrated one time by a pastor as well who said sometimes we think we can simply give God a seat at the board of directors. you got a board of directors and God takes up one seat. Let's listen to everybody's opinion. Let's let, let's let God have his opinion too. Let's, him, let, let's allow him to share that as well. But we'll go with the majority. We'll go with you know, what we feel if we're the, still the CEO of our life. And God simply is not happy in that position. God will not be satisfied in that position. He has to be foundational where it's about him and what he says exclusively and, 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 um, 
and well, exclusively. We'll go with that word. Number four, Jesus is maturing believers. Point number four. Uh, Peter doesn't use, again, that exact word either, but he talks about the importance of us being nourished and matured uh, in Christ. And so that occurs there in verse uh, two, kind of in the mixed metaphor section, if you will, of the text. He speaks to believers as being newborn babies, craving pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Uh, I love that passage of Scripture because, you know, we talk about being saved, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, believing upon Him, uh, accepting the fact that He died on the cross. We want His forgiveness for our sins. We ask for that. We believe He has the power to do that. We believe that because He, he defeated hell, death, and the grave. And that's all great language, and that's salvation. I love that. That's exactly true. But here Peter talks about be newborn babies, continue to crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up into your salvation. So what, what Peter is saying to us is that God's got more plan for us. It's not about that one yes way back there about giving our hearts to Christ, but it's about this ongoing yes in which we invite him to continue to change us and to shape us for his good and for his glory. So I like that, that supportive language of that. Then in verse 5, different language there, Peter writes... As talks to us as being living stones, being built into a house, serving as a holy priesthood. So you're a living stone, but now Peter is saying there's more. There's more. There's still more to this. There's growth and maturity, becoming more and more like Christ. And, and what I like about both of these illustrations is it speaks to the fact that Peter is delivering a message that says it's important that these things happen in community. They don't just happen individually, but you're brought into this relationship uh, with others. And so he's referring to living stones. He's referring to babies. It's plural. It's in a group. Growth occurs in a community of faith. Uh, let me say it this way. A single, a, a single stone won't make for a good wall. just doesn't work that way. A single stone won't make for a good house doesn't work that way. It must be joined with other living stones to fulfill its purpose. And so Peter reminds us several times through this letter that the followers of Christ are really viewed as strangers in the world. Uh, you know, I think most of us can identify with this, that we, we don't belong. Um, we're strangers. We're aliens. And so that's why it's so important for us, so vital for us to be joined together, belonging in a church, being strangers in the world makes our connection to other believers that much more important. Uh, have you ever felt that way? Like you're a stranger in, in the world, like a Marshall fan in Morgantown. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> Jennifer has a personal world, word of testimony. How about being a Dallas fan in Pittsburgh? Or a Yankee fan at Fenway. I'm reminded of a, of a story. Kelly's older brother, Chris, invited me to go over to the Ohio State University. I hate... Oh, my gracious day. Uh, it just annoys me. Ohio State people are annoying. The Ohio State University. Stop it. You're going to make me say something I'm going to regret. And it's going out on the internet and everything. I can't afford to do that. Anyway, back to the story. He invited me to go to the Ohio State University for a ball game. And they happened to be playing the University of Michigan Wolverines. 
Yeah, it was great. There were over, over 100,000 people in the stadium that day, but not many of them dressed in, in uh, yellow, gold, and blue like I was. I mean, I took my WVU gear, kind of, you know, covered up the WVU stuff, and I had blue and gold on up there, and I was using it in that way. There, there we were, seated in the student section of this packed-out stadium. I mean, I was a stranger in a strange land. There's no doubt about it. And every moment, right, it was ripe with conflict. When they cheered, I wanted to boo. What made them happy saddened me. What they rooted for, I rooted against. I was surrounded by a group of folks, none of whom shared my goals, my dreams, my priorities, or my desires. And Michigan won, by the way. It was a good day. It was a good day. It was a good day. But isn't that so sometimes in the culture in which we live? We're surrounded by people we don't have much in common with. Maybe you feel like a stranger when, when the only, you're the only one in a conversation who actually believes that the Bible is God's Word. It's actually God's Word spoken to us, applied to us. Maybe you feel like a stranger when you're the only one who thinks sexual intimacy should be saved for marriage. Maybe you feel like you're the stranger when, when you're the parent who, who's the only one who won't allow your kid to watch that particular movie and everybody else is allowing it. Maybe you feel like a stranger when you're the only one who doesn't swear on the job or on the athletic field. Maybe you feel like a stranger when you're the only kid who won't let everyone else copy their homework. Maybe you feel like a stranger when you're the only one driving out of your community on a Sunday morning to come to church. That's how it feels to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's, in, that's why it's great when we bump into folks on the soccer field or in Kroger's or at the mall or at the airport and we can kind of share some time with them. Or when we've got co-workers in the workplace who are believers alongside us. That's a great thing. But it's not enough. It's not enough. What we need is to get consistently connected to belong somewhere where you fit in with a particular group of believers in a particular local church who will support you, who will lift you up, who will hold you accountable, who will pray with you when you're in need. When you make that connection in a local church, it's then that you become living stones being built into a spiritual house. That's what it's all about. Point number five is this. Jesus, the cornerstone, he is also unifying. Uh, precise stonework has always been necessary. When any building was built in the ancient Near East, they put the uh, cornerstone there first. Uh, it was the first on, on the construction site, and its function was to set the pattern for the building as a whole. Every other measurement, every other measurement, every other stone was placed in relation to the cornerstone, in connection with it, in connection with him. And Christ, therefore, is thus given priority. He is the one. It is Christ who sets the standard for all who follow, and we are to be one in him, joined to him, built on him. Paul writes about this in Ephesians. So he joins Peter writing this way. He says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in 
the Lord. And so it is Christ who reconciles all of us, all kinds of different people, so that none are strangers and aliens. Paul writes again in Galatians, he says in the church, right, we are no longer uh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ. Now, I said this to the first congregation, I find it necessary to say again, in just the context of our day, what Paul and Peter, neither one are talking about, is us becoming homogenous. He's not talking about us all being the same. There are differences, right? There are differences. Male and female differences continue to exist in spite of what some of the stuff is that's said around us. We are different. There's difference. We are racially, ethnically different. There are socioeconomic differences. Those those things, no matter how many laws they pass, no matter what they're trying to do, In that regard, that is never going to change. And in fact, in the church, we celebrate those differences. The beauty of the church is that in in light of all of those differences, I started to say in spite of those differences, but it's not in spite of, it's God's creative order. God created differences. We celebrate the differences in the church, and it's under Him, united in Christ, that we become one. You see, if we all become homogenous, if we all become the same, then the church loses part of its attractiveness and part of the miracle of the church is that we are so very different, yet in Christ we are unified in Him. I hope that's making sense, and I hope you're getting it, because it's really good. Don't just become homogenous, not all of us the same. We celebrate the differences, and we are one in Christ. Now, sadly... There's something that we can say that is an indictment of the church, and that is this. Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock is still the most segregated time in America. That's an indictment of the church. And that's not just about racial things or ethnic things. It's becoming more and more so about political things, and it's becoming more and more so about socioeconomic things. And that's an indictment of the church. Paul said all of those barriers need to be done away with that we might be united in Christ. That is the joy and the celebration of the church. He unifies us. We in him are unified. And why? Because we are built on his love and his acceptance and the reconciliation that he wants us to have with all others. We're following his example. He sets the standard, the cornerstone in place, and we are following in his footsteps. He is living, he is precious, he is exclusive, he's maturing believers, and he's unifying the church. But it's only true. It's only true for those of us who believe. Believers are promised something in this passage of Scripture. I don't want you to miss it. Believers are promised that trusting in Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of your life means that you will never be put to shame. You'll never be put to shame. You'll never be on the wrong path if you are aligned, built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. If you've believed upon Him, if you've trusted in Him. But to all others, what does does Peter write? He says to all others, not accepting Christ, he says he is a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. I'm asking, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Will he be of great value to you or will Jesus be worthless to you? Let me close with this illustration. David Hole, he stumbled across this reddish heavy rock found in yellow clay as he was going through a regional park near Melbourne, Australia in 2015. 
But from all appearances, this rock really doesn't look like all that much, right? I mean, it doesn't look like a, a great find. It's not beautiful. It's certainly not remarkable in color. Uh, he wasn't even sure what to make of this rock. Would he keep it or not? Did it have value or not? He really wasn't sure. But because of its weight, it was very heavy. And because of its unique dimpled look, he decided to keep it. But he just kind of kept the rock around. He really didn't know what it was. He, 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 and really, many times in his life, he felt like the rock was in the way. It was simply there collecting dust. A friend finally convinced him to take it to the Melbourne Museum, which he did. And it was there that he was informed of what he had found was a 40-pound meteorite worth more than gold. This realization, this affirmation became life-changing. But, but I want you to notice something about this story that I think is revealed in this question that I'm going to ask. And the question is this, when did this stone have great value? When did the stone have great value? When, when could the stone have benefited Mr. Hole? It was when it was discovered, right? When Mr. Hole initially held it in his hands, but for years, for years he wasn't convinced. He didn't recognize the stone's value. He essentially rejected its worth. He didn't make a decision. He just held the rock. And as a result, most of the time, this rock was simply in his way. It was collecting dust, something only to stumble over, to trip upon. Listen, Jesus, the cornerstone, is of great value. Not when we recognize Him as such, but by the declaration and the validation of God the Father, chosen by God, honored by Him, this is absolutely true. Whether you accept Him or not, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the living one. He is the precious one. He is of great value. But some, some have stumbled over, fallen over Him in your lives for years because you have rejected Him. Now, some, again, won't like that word. You won't like that word rejected. That, that's offensive. That's an offensive word. So some won't like that specific language. But it's true. And rejection is the right word for anyone whose life is not built upon, whose life is not centered upon Jesus. Could I say it again this way? Jesus isn't an add-on. Jesus will not be just a room addition. He won't be an outbuilding. He is the living cornerstone to be built upon or to be stumbled over. It will be one or the other. It's black and white. Again, let me say it in the words of Jesus who spoke about this foundational idea himself in Matthew's Gospel chapter 7. And so these are the words of Jesus, not simply your pastor today. He said it this way, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them Acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall." Jesus said, the choice is yours. And it's either or. It's black or white. It's believing or it's rejection. It's being wise or it's being foolish. It's building your house on rock or on sand. Will he be a living stone? A living stone 
in your life? That's the question of the day. Father, we thank you that this is your truth spoken to us. And, and we want to celebrate the fact, you know, you, you make it a choice for us, but you, you give us a promise here that if we choose to build on you, then we'll never be put to shame. We'll never be put to shame. You will, you will set the pattern in our life. You will be there when we stray from that pattern to correct that pattern. You'll give us the assurance and the confidence of knowing that we are walking with you through life. There are so many things that you'll address in our life that can be assurances for us. We won't be walking on our own path. We won't have worry as our constant um, co colleague in life. We, we don't need to walk that way. And so you promise us so much. We're convinced today you want the best for us. You want to be our foundation. You want to give us something to believe in something to rest in and that something is you and so we pray that our spiritual eyes would be enlightened that our spiritual ears would hear your voice speak and that we would make the decision to give our lives over to you to trust in you completely and fully it's in jesus name we pray amen welcome back to the studio i'm here with pastor chris riggs today it's just Hello. the two of us uh, um, a, a skeleton crew, but let me tell you, we are, we're ready to talk about this sermon. <laughs> I'm just really enjoying this series, the, the names of Jesus leading us up to Easter. It's just been, um, I've just gotten something out of each of these, including the one that Chris, that you preached a couple of weeks ago that we didn't get to really have a discussion about, but Jesus, the amen, that was just such a cool concept. And then, and then Kent echoed some of those, uh, some of those, uh, concepts and expanded them last week with Jesus, the alpha and omega. And then this week, of course, we have Jesus, the living stone, uh, with Jesus, uh, being referred to as the cornerstone. Um, I, 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 this is an image I've always liked. Um, I, I think it's just such a sort of a hands-on picture of of what Jesus is as that that um, part of the foundation, part of the 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 building, the structure that 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 we all need. I've really liked that picture, so I was I was glad to hear Kent. I, uh, I think there's been some good one. '80s Christian contemporary music written about it too. I, you know, there is uh, that there song. Something yeah. about the cornerstone, the cornerstone. or Jesus is our cornerstone. I, 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 I can't pull it up. You're welcome to sing it if you'd like. You're, <laughs> no, you, you don't like, want that. Seems like you've got a good, got a good yeah, handle on it. you don't want it. that, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could increase listenership. Who knows? We can, no, we can, that would not <laughs> increase <laughs> listenership. But, I don't uh, think that's true. I've heard you sing. I think, <laughs> I think we, got, uh, we got something No, there. but I do. I, I'm with you, and I think it's pivotal for some of our understanding of who God is. And for several of the reasons that Kent brought up, but that that image is all important. And really, uh, it kind of reminds me of some of the stones we have out in front of our church. I believe there's one that actually has... There is a cornerstone, yeah. There's a cornerstone. So um, that image itself, when I thought about this sermon. Yeah, and, that, and that's uh, another image there, I think, even in addition to being the part of the foundation. It's also uh, one of those... Um, uh, sort of a marker of of progress, a marker of a of a starting point. I think that's there's a, there's something there too that that our Jesus is that 
um, not just part of the foundation, but he's something we can always go back to and say, this is where I started. This is where I want to be. You know, our cornerstone has the, when it was laid and, you know, when sure. it was that, that date and who was involved. And so I think we, we get that imagery a lot in the old Testament of people building altars to mark an important occasion. I think for that, that our relationship with Jesus should be one of those markers in our life. Well, I mean, in that first point he makes, when he's talking about it being a living stone, is this is that really right. plays to that idea that this that Jesus wants to be in relationship. That this is not something that is a a dead thing. This is a live, a living stone. So that he is. Uh, it, what, what kind of made me think in that line too was, um, you know, so often I think to myself that Jesus is. Uh, is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. So in the one sense, he is that stone, that thing right. that is immovable, that will not change. At the same time, he is a living stone, something that wants to have relation, someone who wants to have a relationship with us. Right. You know that that does, in the sense of want that uh, personal connection. Um, that even when he's discussing, like he mentioned, the lady, the woman at the well. Um, you know, this idea that yeah. that he wants to be there is not just something that is fixed and never moving, like never moving in the sense of interactive. It's that right. he wants that relationship. And so it's a great, a great image. And that's true, just like what you said, like that that cornerstone we can go back to right. and where we realize sometimes that Jesus is our that person where we start a relationship with him. You know, that's where right. we start that relationship with him as and, and I'm I'm with you on that. I loved that that Kent really highlighted that Jesus is relational. Um that uh, you know, it's it was a cliche over the last couple of decades, maybe, but there's a lot of truth in it about Christianity. It's it's not religion; it's a relationship. And you know, religion gets a bad name. Obviously, there's there's nothing wrong with with you know being dedicated and devoted in in that religious sense. But our religion is based on a relationship, and, and that Jesus wants to have that daily relationship with us. That that we can always look back to that foundation. But he's always. We talked about this with Caleb Bailey last week that he's always doing a new thing, sure. and so that's the in the sense that, as you said, he is that that living stone. Um, and then you know, his second point that Jesus is precious. This is something I think we, uh, those of us who've grown up in the church, maybe um, probably don't feel that as much as we should, um, because we've we've had that that opportunity to have a relationship with him. And I think maybe we forget sometimes how precious and how special it is to have that relationship with Jesus. And the the way that he loves us is just absolutely precious. It's it's valuable. Well, sure. It's like that old, uh, you know, as a youth pastor, I always find myself every once in a while, I was cleaning the youth room, coming across those Bibles that were... Uh, you know that were worn and tattered, and the old youth Bibles that right. <laughs> maybe, maybe unfortunately found their way under the ping pong leg to make the ping pong table level. You know that kind of thing. Where, but yet you hear yeah. about you know when we took our trip to uh, Costa Rica a couple times into Guatemala once, the idea that a Bible to someone over there can be precious. I mean, it's, yeah. the, the word is precious. This news, this good news, uh, this relationship is something that is that is precious, and, and Jesus right. is precious to us. So it's, it reminds me of that a lot, just the idea that sometimes we just take are we take the relationship sometimes, and we take um, the the things of God. Sure, over, you yeah, know, we take for them for granted, granted yeah. sometimes, and it's not that's not true. And 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 let me say, you know, that that is not unlike uh, 
the it's not like the Israelites back in the in the biblical times. Right. I think one of the issues there was that you know they had taken God for granted that they that they were you know that that was their they were they were God's people and He was their God and you know there was nothing there that was necessarily right. for them that was still that that relationship. So it's, it is a uh, yeah I thought but I thought about the Bibles yeah like yeah how often we take those <laughs> we take right those. <laughs> take that for granted <laughs> take that for granted. I, I loved the illustration that he gave about the painter who who kept the the precious stones as as a constant reference to what what colors are you know and that that idea it reminded me of the illustration uh he can't use in previous week about the middle sea the tuning fork that always is the middle sea it's it's that it's that same concept we always need that reference of um of what god is and what jesus means to us we we need to keep that in front of us because it is so easy to to end up with a with a Bible propping up a table, you know, not not in a <laughs> not in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense that well, we, sure. yeah, we we just forget because we're human. Um, well, how, yeah. yeah, and if it can stop being a relationship, and it can start being a religion, right? I mean, that's exactly. I mean, Going I think we, we don't want to fight that, but that's right. that's what it becomes. I mean, you're right. Our religion is based on our relationship, but it is it is based on that relationship. So that's you know that living stone part is important that we're supposed to have that relationship and that's what everything flows from right right so yeah keeping that in front of us and uh, then he went on to talk about jesus the cornerstone is exclusive and uh, tied in talking about uh, post-modernism and um, (laughs) how often we don't keep christ as the center of our lives uh, going back to that concept but this is this is a tough one probably tougher in our in our society today than it ever has been the idea that there is one path to god and and it is through jesus christ and um you know we could have a long conversation about what does that mean what what's that mean for somebody who's never heard the name of jesus can i mean how do they come to know god if they've never heard and um what does that mean for us as a as a body of believers to, with that responsibility um, as I think C.S. Lewis wrote about this a good bit, that um, even in his children's work in uh, the in the Chronicles of Narnia series, he um, the last battle, I believe it is, there's a scene where um, a young soldier has been, um, has spent all his life worshiping what is in those books, sort of the Satan figure, uh, Tash, I think is the character's name in the book. And, and but this, this soldier has done everything right. You know, he's... Because there, there was a deeper truth in him, and he he realized that some of these things weren't right, and so for that idea that that people can still know Christ even if they never know His name, um, in places where they haven't had the opportunity to hear it, I'm comforted by that. That the idea that that God is God, uh, He's God here, He's God in Papua New Guinea, he's got in in Japan, he's got in Finland, all these places. And um, whether or not people have the opportunity uh, to hear the name of Jesus, that's on us. And we have to trust that God is a merciful God and that he still speaks to hearts of people who've never had the opportunity to hear. Well, I think we, I think we so long to reconcile some things that just aren't going to be reconcilable. Like right. we're just not, we want to, we want to believe and which is okay. We want to believe that this God that we believe is is good, is all good. Wouldn't want to have somebody who has never heard His name before, right. you know. But and so we want to do some reconciling. But I think that I think sometimes what we do is we spend so much time on the 
the the negative side of that. Right. Um, the reality is we, we're trying to come up with so many solutions to, to our – but I think the reality is is that we just need to dwell in the fact that we do have this good news. There is right. Jesus Christ, and he has provided us this pathway. And, you know, if, if I'm going to believe in, in the goodness of God, I can't, I can't explain the details of what's going to happen right. because I can't even explain the details of what's going to be like – for those of us who believe, honestly, right. I mean, I mean, I know what the Bible says, but to really say this is exactly what's going to happen, yeah, we can't explain. But what we sure. can say is, we know that Jesus Christ came, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. We right. know that, right? If someone's never heard of Him before, do we, you know, we say provenient grace? You know, we, we allow right. for some of that stuff, and I think that's to help us reconcile what we see as the nature of God with situations that we don't understand how right. that could possibly take place. And I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I just think that it's. It's sometimes we just need to dwell more in the fact that we we do like you were saying we have the opportunity we have heard this good news and we have the opportunity to share this good news with other people right yeah we I mean, have the opportunity like, to know it ourselves we have the responsibility to share it with others and uh, and again that goes back for me um, I, I I absolutely believe God is merciful and good and I can't explain how that would work for somebody that never heard His name but I also am a Christian. I've said this recently, maybe even last week. I'm not a Christian because I get to go to heaven. That's the cherry on top. That's true. I'm a Christian because I believe uh, having living in relationship with Jesus Christ is, is the, the best way to live. And so that's why I feel sure. a responsibility to share sure. it and to live it and to let people see that because I want everyone to know I want everybody to have the opportunity to have, have the experience that same relationship. I have. Sure. And so it is a real responsibility to say it, it's, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread is the you know, old cliche, too, about evangelism. It is. I, I, I am fed every day by my relationship yeah. with him, and so I want other people to have that opportunity, too. Well, I've heard the old teen response to me, which is, hey— Chris, you know, if you've never, if the person's never heard of Jesus before and they can't be responsible for not having heard about him, are they going to end up in heaven? Is that bringing grace? And, and then their statement to me is, well, then why would I ever want to tell anybody about Jesus? Because if they don't know, you know, right. you, if they don't know, then they're better off, right? And, and that's, I think, goes back to your point. No, they're not. Right. I mean, the reality is, I can't explain what's going to happen to people who've never heard. But the reality is, is that the best way to live life is to understand it is in relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, that is it. That is the reason we're here and the purpose. So it is better for me to try to help you to understand that because that's where you should be living. It's right. not, like you said, it's not just about entering in the gates of heaven. It's about having this personal relationship with our Creator. And so that should push me to want to share that, uh, right. not just trying to save somebody you know, by kind of yeah. getting there by uh, uh, by not knowing something, right? You know I mean? <laughs> exactly <laughs> by ignorance, pleading like, ignorance. You, you know? you, yeah, you might you might live a completely unfulfilled life here, but because I didn't tell you about Jesus, you you're may you heaven. may stand a shot to get yeah. to heaven. <laughs> Which you know, it, yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting conversation that could certainly take up a whole episode itself. Um, and then uh, his fourth point: Jesus is maturing believers. Um, I, by the way, my daughter makes fun of how I say maturing. Do you say mature or mature? Is he maturing believers or is he maturing believers? It's mature, maturing believers. Did <laughs> you say, say maturing? Mature. I say maturing. Okay, maturing. Well, you just and I, I get made. I get made fun of for it. Well, I understand um, why. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can take it. I can take it. I, I might come across the room and slap you as hard as I can. You know, if you make fun of me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These pop culture references. That's hold, what I was hold, saying. Hold, okay, hold well, yeah, eight years yes, from now, when somebody's going back that and listening true. to it. Um, so he he said, you know, Peter doesn't use that exact word, but he he does talk about um, Jesus uh, nourishing and helping believers to to grow in Him, and um, 
our our relationships with others is is one of the ways that Kent talked about that happens. And I really appreciated the section where he's talking about uh, being a stranger in the world um, <laughs> and not belonging. And so in our in our church relationships, in our community of believers relationships, that's the place where we really belong. Um, but those some of the examples and I love the story the he told about yes. being <laughs> being dressed in blue and gold, especially him. Yes, that's, yeah, that's funny. So I, that that did not surprise me coming from him. That's certainly he, he is nothing if he is not bold. Um, well, that's and that's what I you know and I once again my whole life was spent around teenagers. So, but I mean, you know, we always we used to tell teens that's why this is why we you know if all we were meant to do was get together once in a while and play games. You know, the reality is we'd just be a YMCA. I right. mean, that's what we'd be. I mean, there's a reason that we have been given to each other as part of the body of Christ is that we are to, to sharpen each other and to be yeah. there to encourage each other. And this plays a role. It's not just a matter of a community. It's not just a, a community hangout or right. a place where you... I mean, this is the idea that there is... God brings us together, the, the living stone brings us together so that we can mature together in our faith. Right. Um, you know, and and that's my fear sometimes is that um, that we see this more as a place to drop our kids off, or more of a place that you know, our I don't want my child to be stray stray in their in their in their growing up years, right. or I come here because we help people, we feed people. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong; all those things are great, but I think at the end of the day, too, it's it's our relationship with Christ with God, but it's our relationship with each other. And right. in living in community, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that helps us. It should make us better Christians. It should help right. us make us better followers of Christ. I, I, I agree completely. That's, uh, and, and the examples he used, you know, that uh, when you feel like you, you feel like a stranger when you're the only one who actually believes that the Bible is God's word, or you're the only one who takes some of these stances that we take as Christians, it it can feel scary and can feel isolating. And so it's good that we can strengthen each other in that way, that we can, we can say, you know what, no, I, I, I'm with you on this. I'm, I'm standing with you on that, well, on that point. And let me so. say, on the flip side of that, too, I think it's incredibly important that sometimes we may take a position as a Christian that may not be biblical. Right. You know, and this community is meant to sharpen each other. So if you're taking a stance and the community is looking at you going, I'm not sure about that one, you know, it's a time right. for us to sharpen ourselves and say, is this true? I mean, if everybody in the community doesn't agree with me, it makes should drive me back to Scripture and say, okay, what are they saying? Why are they saying this to me? What, what am I thinking here? You know, because I mean, I've known that's happened before too, where, you know, you think to yourself, well, this is this is what it means to be a Christian, and the church community is saying, oh, I'm not sure that's really what it is, yeah. and sometimes that can either cause one or two things to happen. Either you decide to leave the church, you know, because you don't want, or you choose to say, let me, let's talk let's together. Let's, this, let's yeah. re-examine. He's not saying that I'm wrong, but let's make sure I go back into Scripture and right. able to support it and understand Understand that that's. I mean, that's one of the four legs of uh, uh, the, uh, Wesleyan quadrilateral right. is this idea of tradition, you know, and and, uh, and um, reason, reason, and being and able to talk. Just, I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, these are part of the, the concept, and that comes in community. Yeah. That doesn't happen alone. That comes with each other, talking and sharing. Right. So that's part of maturing, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, Wesleyan quadrilateral. That's, I that's brought nice that back up. You that like back it? In. You like I it? Do. My that's wife right. will be proud. My that, wife. That's proud. really really good. <laughs> Um, and that ties nicely into uh, Kent's uh, last point, that Jesus, the cornerstone, is unifying. And if there's anything we really need to seize onto in in this time that we're in, it's that he is unifying. Um, because there is a lot of division, not just in the world, but in the in the the church community. Not I, you know, I, I feel really blessed that our church um, we we 
tend to have a good sense of unity and a good sense of community. But, you know, across Christendom, which I love that word, across the, the kingdom of Christians, there is a lot of division and a lot of disagreement um, politically and socially and, and what should we be focusing on. And that kind of division is not of God. God is, is he, he brings us together uh, when we focus on the right things, when we focus on who he is and the nature uh, that he wants us to exhibit to the world. And um, yeah, you wouldn't think that message would be too disunifying. I mean, when you think about what his message was, which was love God, love others. Right. I mean, I don't know how, how much disunity we can possibly... I mean, sometimes we, we take that and we just... Right. We really mess it up sometimes. We, we you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how if you make that statement, how how possibly that could not be unifying. But uh, sometimes we turn it into something that isn't yeah. that way. So yeah, and it, it's it's good that we have the opportunity to to use forms like this and coming together uh, at church and uh, and getting involved in outreach to really to 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 build those relationships and to really let God unify us. I think that's, that's so important. And that is where our foundation should be is what, what, what he's calling us to and, and our, our church community, but not just coming here as a safe place, sure. but coming here to, to join together, to go out again. And, and sure. so I, th- sure. I think that's, that's super important. Well, and starting with that, you know, this living stone concept, this cornerstone concept, I mean, every, we, we all bring, as a community, we bring things to this table, our beliefs of what we believe. But at the very center of this always has to be the cornerstone. Right. I mean, that's where it's got to start. I mean, everything is, is you know, if it doesn't start there, then I, and everything needs to be based on that. And that's that's what a cornerstone does. Right. It allows the church to stand or allows the building to stand. You know, it's this right. idea of starting with that thing. And, and we just always got to make sure we're starting starting with Christ. I mean, it's got to start there. It's got to it's got to begin at that point yeah. in time. Whatever we believe, do Say every that has got to start with with Jesus in mind, you know. And and I don't like I said, I'm not sure how you I'm not sure how if you do that if you keep that front and center, right. and you keep His message front and center in the New Testament. How we have a lot of room for disunity. I mean, it's hard, right. you know, because he does. He, I mean, that message is a unifying message. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and the, they'll know we are Christians by our love. I mean, that's scriptural. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And um, yeah, yeah. So that that's a high calling we certainly have, and and it's a good thing that he demonstrated it so well uh, when Jesus did what he did for us. So, well, that'll wrap up our conversation. Uh, we certainly hope you'll come visit us, uh, join us if you if you're in the area, or join us online if you're not. Uh, all that can be found on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com/slash/scfirst, and um, we have an Easter egg hunt. We do on April tenth, Palm Sunday, um, just about a week and a half away for from the kids. When we're recording for the that. kids, for, for kids, yes, yes, not for adults. Um, Sorry, adults. No, no. no, although I think our college group did have an Easter egg hunt a couple years ago, so maybe they did one. Maybe, I think they did. I they wasn't did. aware of that. Wow. Um, but yes, we have our, our kids Easter egg hunt coming up on April tenth. It's from ten a.m. to twelve p.m. Uh, here at the church uh, in South Charleston. And uh, then uh, the following Sunday is Easter Sunday. Um, we have services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Easter Sunday. With uh, We'll have baptisms. And then just before Easter on Good Friday, we have our annual Tenebrae service. This is our service of That's shadows. Incredible. It'll be uh, Friday night, April 15th at uh, 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary just always a real highlight of the Easter season. It's, it's a, a service that's, um, it's a time we, we designate for really tying in our emotions 
um, emotionally and sort of spiritually with what Christ experienced. And uh, this year we have some we have some drama and some. Oh, it's music an incredible as, as writing. That. I mean, so. absolutely incredible writing. I mean, top notch writing. I mean, uh, you're, you're you're very kind. I'm, I'm, I'll pass that along. Um, but we we do hope you come visit us, come join us, uh, because you are part of the family. <laughs>